You know I don't like my pathetic fallacy. And for today to be doom and gloom <laughs> in the city of Toronto, for it to look the way that it does. In the Hall streets. of Fame doom out there. <laughs> Pressure cooker. I can't wait to see what it's going to be like down at the arena tonight in terms of what kind of atmosphere the Maple Leafs are going to be stepping into. What kind of fans are going to be in the building? How that first 10 minutes is going to feel? Because as we saw in game one, fans brought it. Fans knew what time the game started. Players, oh, yeah. coaching staff, they were like, oh, I thought it was eight. <laughs> we were under the impression that it was eight o'clock. So, man, I just this, I, I, it's pretty obvious to say tonight is a must-win game. Yeah, like, 100%. The Leafs are not going to go on the road and win four of five with three road games against the team that has won more playoff games than anybody else over the last bunch of seasons. Three finals in a row. It's not going to happen. So, yeah, pretty clearly tonight's a must-win game. Azo just gave me the, like, the nod, like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> it would be very Toronto to like really push the fans to the brink and then get it done, right? Like To have the fans believe there was 0% chance and then Miracle Comeback. That is the way the Red Sox did it. The Red Sox did it that yeah. way. Maybe that's It'd our a very way. Maple Leafs way. The other thing was that Washington Capitals that year, they went on the run. They went down 0-2 at home. Yeah. To uh, Columbus. Yeah. Columbus, though. Wow. Yes, though. <laughs> yeah. Columbus. All the banners in Columbus. <laughs> the history of winning. Do they, they have any banners there? <laughs> uh, nobody. Obviously not. Uh, pretty clearly not Joe. Anyways, Joe, anyways, Joe, this is what, what I say, tell you is like, hey, pick your words carefully on the show. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Don't just speak for the sake of speaking. This is that time for you. Uh, okay, so yeah, must win game tonight for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, they've shuffled up the lines. Yarn Kroc obviously joins Matthews and Marner. Kerfoot, Keith's favorite move, his dice move, throwing Kerfoot back up in the top six. It's his favorite thing to do. God, he probably woke up yesterday morning and he wasn't even upset about the bunting suspension because he just got to do his favorite thing in the universe, which is that, <laughs> which is tell Alex Kerfoot, hello, my number one candy baby. You will be going back up to the top six where I'd love to see you shine. And he goes, thank you, daddy. I will be up there. And so Kerfoot joins the top six with Tavares and Nylander. I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. Nice is in. Duh. He slots in next to O'Reilly and Achari. That line all of a sudden looks like there's more depth. I like that line. We'll see. I'm going to talk about it with Myrtle in a second, but I do think that one of Keefe's biggest mistakes was loading up that second line, especially considering what ended up, what the results were in that game. And then, yeah, sticking with the Aston Reese camp Flafferty uh, fourth line, and then the defense part pairings stay the same. We still don't know about the goaltender, I don't think, anyways. Although it would be kind of nutso if he did decide to do this. Anyways, James Myrtle, Senior Managing Editor at The Athletic. Good morning, sir. How are you feeling on this? Pressured. I forget what day. Thursday. <laughs> I forgot what day it was. I was like, damn it. I know it's Thursday, but I'm not 100% on this. I'm feeling good. It's a big yeah, game. I'm, huge. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. I'm excited. I'm definitely excited, but... Okay, I, I think that you evolve as a sports fan, especially when you do this profession for a living, right? I don't care about the same things that I cared about with the Toronto Maple Leafs 10 years ago. But here's what I deeply, deeply, deeply care about and what I hated so much about the last 48 hours. Leaf fans don't need to just be dunked on anymore. 
it's not fun to me anymore. It's fu- it was oh, it's fun when the Leafs have at least a something, right? Like, and now that there's the internet too, it's not just like growing up where someone had to be in your face and kind of trash talk you a little bit. Now it's just relentless and nonstop. And poor Leaf fans, I just not again for them, not again for Leafs Nation. Just let them at least have some point of pride here. Let them have some hope. So the idea that they lose tonight. And it's just a complete choke job, meltdown, whatever the hell. Another 48-hour cycle of this. Boy, just please no. Please don't let me see this, the shots of all those poor Leaf fans in the super expensive seats moping around, deciding whether or not they should stick around and continue to support the team that has really given them nothing as long as most of them have lived. It's not even like pulling the football away from Charlie Brown anymore. It's no. like pulling the football away and waiting till he falls over and then spiking it on his face. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then he's like, I actually have a serious medical condition where you shouldn't be throwing footballs at me and to the guy who just keeps doing it anyway. <laughs> That's how it's bad just, it is. It's just gratuitous at this yeah. point. I mean, like it's, well, it, I, it was interesting, like running errands and doing things around the city yesterday and talking to Leafs fans and, you know, one one person I ran into was like they're going to get swept and yep. they should blow they should blow it up they should they should trade 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 everybody and start over again. It's like wow, one game mm-hmm. like this just shows how fragile the the whole thing is. Is that some people are just they're just so checked out on it right now. But James, this is this this is the thing about the fan base is it's so hard for me. People always go, it's a roller coaster fan base. Oh, look at Leaf fans always with their emotions. Always with it. it's like yeah. You try to love something that doesn't love you back for this long. You try to have a relationship that is like this for this long. Of course it's going to be this way. People, there's, there's a large faction of the fan base that feels like it's easier on them if they just pull shoot right away and start protecting themselves so that they can mm-hmm. be like, I never actually believed. I never actually really wanted this. I never actually thought that this was going to be okay. I just want to see a change. Just <laughs> give me no expectations at all because I'm actually more comfortable living in this area because you end up getting clowned on for believing that a good hockey team could win hockey games. <laughs> like it's just, it's a really tough position to be in. So I completely understand the irrationality, the anger, sometimes the over-optimism by the portion of the fan base that feels like they need to like compensate for the negative fans by going, <laughs> everything is fine. You, they're going to lose if you cheer against them. <laughs> it's just wild. So I don't fan shame in this way. Like you got to cheer. However, you got to cheer tonight. You got to handle and manage this relationship. However you want to do it. I'm just saying that it would sure make me feel happy today. If a lot of Leaf fans could just watch a nice hockey game where the Toronto Maple Leafs win and people could be sending text messages where they buy back in again. Well, I, I think like you said off the top, I mean, it feels pretty must win because this is like the series could be riding on this game. Like if they yeah. lay a complete complete egg tonight, I mean, the worst case scenario, what if Samsonov is, is brutal in the game? I mean, then all of a sudden you're looking at going yeah. to Tampa, you're down 0-2. With Joe Wall. You're probably gonna have to put. You're probably gonna have to put Joe Wall in there. Like and like, that's who would have thought we would be? I mean, look at the season that they had. They had a whole. They had a whole year to build up to that game on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and and to play the way they did, boy. And then meanwhile, Tampa looks brilliant. It looks like they've been playing possum for three months and just like completely mailed in the reg- end of the regular season and didn't care. And I thought Tampa played. 
I don't know if that game was all Toronto just being brutal or if Tampa was really, really good. or But, like, the Lightning looked like the team that finished way ahead in the standings on Tuesday. It was both uh, to me. Uh, I think that you obviously have to give Tampa credit. You give John Cooper credit. You give those players credit. Like, uh, again, if you look at, hey, who was the best player in that game? It was Nikita Kucherov. He was brilliant right? He dominated. Point, point was really good point, too. Exactly. Their two best guys that they needed to step up were both just everywhere. They were the movie everywhere all the time all at once or whatever. I can't, <laughs> but it was just, yeah, it was just constantly. I, my favorite test for a hockey game is how much ice time do you think someone has versus what they mm. actually played? And I just, I sat there at the end of the game doing that guessing game and I usually try to write it down and I went, did those guys like play 26? Like how, how much did they play? Like third period screwed everything up. But through the first two periods, it felt like one of the two of them, like they were just on the ice constantly. It was just never, ever, ever coming off unless the puck was in the back of the net and it was the fourth line doing the line matching thing. So um, I, I like to do this when this time of year comes around, which is there's real stakes tonight, right? Whose legacy do you think is on the line the most tonight? for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I mean, I think the front office has a lot riding on, to be honest. I know people are going to say the players, but it just, it really feels like this is, this whole thing has been building for seven years, like the the tank and like, that's that's mm-hmm. the crazy thing about this year is it feels like it's, there's so much, has, like this is going to, it really feels like the end of an era or something if they can't do it. Yo, definitely. You know, I was, I was even thinking after game one, it's like, okay, if it's going to go down like this, I mean, the eulogy of all of this is going to be that this was a flawed team that that just couldn't get it done when it mattered. So that's what's on the line. I mean, I think it's, I think the legacy is like everybody. I mean, I think they they've they've got to get over this. Otherwise, it's I don't know. Has there ever been a team in the NHL like this that just couldn't do anything and was so good in the regular season? Like, has there ever been a team that, like, I think they have, like, the fourth best record in the NHL the last four years, and they can't, they haven't been able to do anything in the playoffs, really. Yep. I mean, everyone was excited last year when, like, they put it to seven and played really well. But that's that's the most they've accomplished in the playoffs. But that's, and that's how heartbreaking it is. And that, that honestly, that's why I was so frustrated when it happened. Um, I just started this with like, I don't fan shame, but there was almost a, a part of me that was upset with how pushing Tampa to the brink was received where it was this year's different. This year's different. I went, well, the Leafs are still going home and the exit interviews are tomorrow. Um, doesn't feel all that different when I'm watching the other team play more hockey games and Toronto is in the same spot as they have been. You can acknowledge that the team may have taken a step in terms of their compete level or their ability in the playoffs or their maturity in the playoffs, whatever, but they still lost two elimination games. And yeah, I worry about that. Sometimes people go, Hey, well, if the Leafs could just get through one round, then they're going to all of a sudden have this, you know, monkey off their backs and they're going to be able to cruise through other teams and they're going to be able to play freewheeling hawk. And I go, or the other thing happens, which is there's a sense of self-satisfaction where you go, yeah, we did it. We yeah. won the the first round cup. We've got, <laughs> we, we did it. We did the thing mission. We're basically George Bush on the aircraft carrier, like mission accomplished. It's like, wait, the war just began. <laughs> Why are you unveiling this banner? That was an old, that was an old pull from grade 11 JD in social studies class. Either way, <laughs> I, I'm just saying that I don't, I, I don't like the position they're in. It does feel bad. The legacy question, you're right that it is everyone. And tonight is just so huge. I will say this though. I think there's two guys that have the biggest targets on their back tonight. And that's Keith and that's Samsonov. Which one do you want to start with first? Cause I, I, I think that they both have, yeah, there's, there's a lot here. 
let's. I think Samsonov. Let's go with Samsonov. I think that that's. I mean, he he's like the embodiment of this season. Like if it goes down like this, mm-hmm. like he plays well all year. There's no reason to doubt him. And then as soon as it really matters, he comes up so small. So. I don't know. I could even see it being a short leash tonight. Oh, it definitely uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be a short I leash. I don't know if there's that much more to say, to be honest. Like, he's a guy that's not proven. Yep. He did not have a good track record in the playoffs coming in. He's relatively young. Uh, and this this is where the Matt Murray injury and the contract, which I think we spent a lot of time on that last week, mm-hmm. this is where it hurts you the most because if you had a guy that had won two Stanley Cups, even if he's banged up a little bit, even if he hasn't had a great season, this were, would be where he could be coming in and being like, well, at least we got another bullet in the chamber where we can like, we got another chance because here's a guy who's actually got a pedigree. You know, the whole idea of having a tandem of having two guys where there are question marks is that you go with the one that's that's ready to go. But right now they only got one option. I think he has the most at stake from a player standpoint because he is now one in seven in the postseason, which I know people go, that's such a small sample size. That's only eight games. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't matter. These games matter more. And when you're in that position and you've played on the teams you've played on to be one in seven in the postseason with a save percentage of eight ninety five, um, Yeah, that you're going to wear that one if you suck again tonight. Because if you get pulled by the Leafs, that's two organizations in two years who could walk away from you in restricted free agency. And what I think becomes very clear for Samsonov's future and why I'm nervous for him tonight, because how could he not be thinking about this as yeah. he has a you know brand new child at home, is you blow it tonight and the bag is not secured. The, the contract changes so much for you because there's no organization that can look at Samsonov with that playoff track record and say, we're going to go into the season with you as our number one goaltender, right? No, you're a backup. Yep, you're a backup. backup. Yep. You know, and a good I've one. been asked so many times about the contract for him and like, what's the ne- his next deal look like? And like, you know, people have been penciling in Samsonov and Joseph Wool potentially as the goalies next yep, year, I have. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, if he loses another game, then all of a sudden, you know, you get out the eraser and like, I don't even, I don't think he could bring him back as the backup. Mm-hmm. You know, I get maybe, but the problem is, is that he's got arbitration rights and he's had that good season and like he would get more in arbitration than you would want to pay him. And the, you're right. The Leafs are probably going to have to walk away. And then the question for him is going to be, go be a backup for a million and a half somewhere or go to the KHL. Boy, that is dark. <laughs> yeah. well, that's, I, know, I don't that's, know. I was, that's what I was thinking after game one, honestly, watching yeah. it. Like, I hope he, I hope this guy turns it around. He seems like a good guy and yeah. like he's had a good season. And it's just, it's hard to watch people go into these situations where it's, it's so much rests on just like a few performances. It's really, I, I couldn't do it. No, of course not. It's just, it's, it's such an, in, it sounds so crazy to th- think you were a top 10 goaltender this year, right? I think he was the best in high danger save out of any goalie mm-hmm. in the entire yeah. NHL this season. Is that right? He was. Yeah. yeah. The best goalie in the NHL in high danger save percentage. And we're having a conversation like, maybe he's in Russia next year playing for Metalgursk and he's just out there doing his thing. It's just, it's tough to think about that being a reality after again, one game. Hopefully it normalizes, but you're right. That That is definitely... Like the that's on the table tonight for him, which is wild. The other guy to me is who he's linked to because I think that, I, I, man, I've got multiple criticisms for Sheldon Keefe after game one. And 
some of these things I try to stay out of and I try not to overdo because I'm not a coach. I'm not a professional in terms of my ability to evaluate sometimes, you know, tactically, whatever. But there are certain things that you can't absolutely do. And then you talk to other players and other coaches and it seems like they're fairly critical of the guy. And you go, okay, this actually matches up with what I think. I hated that he threw the seed of doubt at Samsonov in the post-game media conference. Again, yeah. if the guy's mentally not all there, and he already is owning it, where I saw Samsonov too, and he's talking about, you know, playing like crap and how upset he is at himself, and he just looks like he's in a down place, right? And Keith yeah. had just coming off of a year where he was handling with Jack Campbell, who was up and down roller coaster ride, and he was always pumping Jack's tires, right? He This wasn't his, that's not his normal routine, is to just completely slash a goalie. Samsonov was so good for them this year. And for him to stand up at that podium and say, it's too early to tell with him versus the backup, basically all but establishing that you let in one bad goal and I'm going to yank you from this game and heighten pressure unnecessarily. Outrageous position for him to take. I was sitting there in front of Keith and I was very surprised because he has, I don't think Keith makes a lot of mistakes in the media. Like, I don't think he says the wrong thing a lot. And no, but sometimes he gets uh, emotional, huh? Like, and I felt like that was it. It's We've all had that bad boss that gets like the, the quick trigger in a moment and then they end up apologizing to you like a, a couple of days later in a weird I'm way. I'm sure he did. And that's I'm what I'm sure I mean. he did. Like, I'm sure that was, a, I'm sure he, like, that was a mistake that right after he stepped up from the podium, he was like, I shouldn't have done that because... It's just such a strange thing to say. Like, I mean, in what world would you ever play Joseph Wall in the game two? Like, that wasn't going to happen. Like, no. we all knew that wasn't going to happen. So why don't you just say, like, he should have just said right there, Samson was my guy. Of course. He's been our guy all year. He had one bad game. We believe in him. Yeah. That's what That's what I think that, like, 95% of NHL coaches would have said in that situation. So I think, I think you're right. I think he made a mistake there. And yeah. I'm sure he acknowledged it, and I'm sure he went to Samson right away and said, you're starting, and... We believe in you. That's, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what you have to do. You have to do that. Yeah. Except for if I'm Samsonov and I have any pride, I'm like, here's some words for you that I can't say on the radio. <laughs> like, I, yeah, well, we heard I, all of those in the post game. Yeah, I mean, like did. he couldn't play any of his post game on the radio after. Yeah, it was. Uh, he was bringing out the whole vocabulary oh, there. Uh, yeah, I know. He he learned our swears. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he sure he, did. He did the classic move of any foreign person, which is showing up in a new place and going, "How do you say the swears here? Let me know those ones first, and then let's build off of that." And so, congrats. I haven't seen him. <clears throat> I haven't seen him shaking like that. No, it reminded me rattled. kind of of like. Like Freddie Anderson would get like that when yep. he when he was nervous and had a bad performance, and that's like Samsonov's always been so light mm-hmm. and making jokes and just really kind of. But like he looked like he was on the verge of tears. Like he yeah. looked like he was just like he was really really shaken and upset. So it's going to be a big deal for him if he can put it together for for game two and get that confidence back. I really hope though that the team in front of him gives him a shot because this is my my only sort of half defense of him was it, it felt to me like it's a chicken and egg where your goalie doesn't make one of those saves, but the guys in front of them are also looking shaky. And it's like, where is this energy translating from? Is this the players who have been here for a while who are supposed to have that pedigree and allow a guy like that to settle into a game, feel the puck a little bit before he's scrambling um, from slot chances a minute into the game? Or is it yeah. the goaltender that needs to make the stop and settles the team in? What, like, whatever, I, I'm not even picking a side on this. I'm just saying that I, I do think that there is a lot of complicity with the way that the Leafs came out completely unprepared. And that's where I'll go to Keefe is like, okay, so he called out his goaltender in the post game, right? A guy who has a really shaky playoff track record and essentially throws him under the bus in an emotional moment. He 
His team does not. To Keith's credit, he did point out the defense was terrible in yes, the crease did. and didn't clear the crease. And like yeah. that was, I, I think he said that first, to yes, be honest. He did. So like, I think that that was like the number one thing he said is that, because you're right. Like if you, if they could have just cleaned up some of the garbage that Samsonov was kicking out there, then Samsonov would like settle into the game a little bit, you yeah. hope. And and they just weren't able to do that. And, and I think they need to do that tonight because if he's one in seven in the postseason. There's clearly going, you're going to open up the door to, hey, you've never done this before where you've overcome the bad start in a playoff game and won. Mm -hmm. So we need to let you feel the puck. We need to score first and we need to make sure that you are not, yeah, having to make those high danger saves immediately if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. But for Keefe, I think like you're looking at this game and we're looking at it through the lens of whose legacy is on the line the most. But obviously you're right with the front office in terms of, if this thing is all done in one round, they'll be the ones who wear it here eternally, right? Like Matthews will still have time to change his legacy. Marner, like all the players will still, even if they're in other places, they'll be able to do other stuff. They'll be able to point to play our regular season successes. Dubas and co it's yeah, it's lights out and they'll be remembered here for only one way, which is the, the nonstop failures and the way that they built a flawed team, blah, 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 blah. But for Sheldon Keefe, I keep thinking about him particularly in terms of the legacy stuff because John Cooper put him in his pocket in that game and it has been established over and over again that that is what happened last year as well. And it's why so many people were gleefully dunking on Keefe after he did the respect in the handshake line thing because it was like, dude, that's what you're looking for, like validation from John Cooper and his players after they beat you. That, that's what's going to satisfy you personally because you look at Keefe's night his line matching backfired right away. His team was not prepared to start on time. He loaded up the second line, which was very controversial considering it's something that he's done tactically in the past that hasn't worked out, but also that the reason why most people thought that they were going to add Ryan O'Reilly was to add depth to this lineup. And yeah, that didn't really work out. And he has a, they had two goals against them in that game, for God's sakes. Two of the first three goals of the game were with the Devaris line on the ice. They were bad. Ex- exactly. Were bad. It did not work out for them in a really, really bad fashion. And then he's got the bad challenge uh, to boot with this game. And then you throw in, yeah, the Samsonov stuff after the game. And you look at this one and go, boy, Sheldon Keefe gets out coached by John Cooper again on home ice. What the hell is his future? Like, can you fire a coach mid-series? The challenge is interesting. Like, I think he was thinking if this one counts, we're done. Like, it's over. Whereas if we can get, if we can somehow get a good result on this, then, then we're still in this. But I think he felt like it's, you put yourself down five on three, though, and you're just, you're just conceding right there, right? So, I, I don't like it. Especially since yeah. they just reviewed it, right? It's one of those ones where they just reviewed to see if there was something shaky, and you figure if they weren't going to overturn that goal – and they really couldn't conclusively tell where it was. The idea that the stick push or whatever with the pad or what he was talking about behind the net where the leg gets hit, I thought, this is just... Normal circumstances, I get you challenging it. Uh, Playoffs, that situation, it just, again, it felt like... It felt well, like they weren't already shorthanded, and I think it's yeah. a lot more defensible, right? But like right. when you got the major there, and then you're stacking another one, and with how Tampa's power play was playing, it's like five on three, like, and your team's yeah. probably like, what? Like you're putting us out there five on three? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the chances are they come back down from three goals in the third period, but at least there's a little bit of a window. Like the Leafs showed some life in the third period, mm-hmm. but there was just they were so far back that. 
there's just no way. So I, I think I think you probably just eat that one. They might, I don't know. Keith said that it was a tough call for them, and they weren't really sure which way it was going to go. And but I think he felt like the game was over if that goal counted. Yeah. But what do you think about him in general? Like game one performs to because it's it's a pretty solid adjustment. Like you you can. I can say that, hey, it's a, it's a bad move for him to have loaded up the second line. I'm a little surprised that he admitted that with his line combinations heading into, you know, practice yesterday where, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly is split up and he is down the lineup. And I well, know Bunting got suspended, so that does change some of the math, but you not know, really. You know what it is, though? Yeah. Like, the only line that looked okay was the Matthews line. Yeah. Everything else was crap. Like, yeah. they didn't get anything from anybody. All the underlying numbers on everybody were just brutal. Yeah. Like, brutal like they they did like i think you can load up the second line if your third and fourth line aren't way underwater and they were like they looked bad that was as bad as the third and fourth lines have looked in a long time mm-hmm. you know so whatever tampa's yeah you know, i don't i don't know like the camp line just had they had absolutely nothing you know and if you load up your second line and they're not like i think they were at 33 expected goals at even mm-hmm. strength they didn't give them anything so what, what's the point in loading up a line if the kid they're not going to produce? Yeah, you know I think that the problem with playing Tavares and O'Reilly in part is they're neither of them that fast, and the Lightning just looked really fast, especially their best players, and that feels like a vulnerable line. I think if you're going to play those guys together, you got to give them Marner, and if you're giving them Marner, then do you like what you have with Matthews? And I mean, you know, Matthews and Marner were two of the only players I liked in Game One. I mean, I think you probably want even more from them. You want them to look like Kucherov and Point did, where they're taking over the game. You want them getting to the middle of the ice better than they did. But they at least looked like they at least played fine. Mm-hmm. But but there was, I think, I think you guys said on the post game show there was was eight, eighteen dogs or something like that, or sixteen mm-hmm. dogs. You know, like there was hardly anyone that showed up. Yeah, um, I would definitely consider splitting Matthews and Marner, and and I wonder what the leash is for Keith on that. Like, if if he's not getting something from his second line right away, or that's the only line going, and they're not up, it's zeros, or they're down a goal, I, I do think that that might put the most pressure on Tampa to at least make decisions as to who you're going to try to match up yeah. with. Because, yeah, to me right now, it does feel a little simple when Tavares and Nylander gave you what they gave you in game one. And, yeah, you're not hard line matching against O'Reilly and Nyes. It just, what they gave you for six weeks. Like, yeah. I'm sure Tampa's been scouting the Leafs. And, of like, course. Tavares and Nylander have not been scary for a long time. Yeah. Like, they just have not played well together. Well, how I mean, many even strength goals did Tavares have in the last, like, month? I think that I was, think like, the most. like, one yeah. in, like, 18 games or something. Like, yeah. it's it's really – and he was not good in game one. Mm-mm. You know, Tavares is, a, is really good on the power play. Like, he's dominant there. But if people re- – you know, if you separate it out and you really watch him at even strength, it's like – this is not an $11 million guy. No, it's not close. So, so, you know, you're pointing at Keith, and I think that that's fair, but, like, when so many of your best players show up and play the way they did, it's like, I don't know if it mattered what he did with the lines going into that game. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I always go players first. I just think that if you can point to two guys who had just horrific evenings and it's basically indefensible, it's Samsonov and it's Keith. Like, where you look through it and go, well, what was your good moment? Like at least Tavares makes the pass to O'Reilly on the power play and there's kind of a game mm-hmm. happening there, right? And at mm-hmm. least O'Reilly scored that goal and Nylander scores also. Like he has a nice play where they give him too much space and he rips one home and all of a sudden the Leafs feel like they're in one. Um, yeah, I, I can't say the same for Samsonov or... Well, actually, sorry. Samsonov did have one really great save, sure. 
Uh, outside of that, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. And I, I am a really, if I think if you're a Leaf fan, you're very, very fair to feel concerned about where do you have these mismatches with this team? Well, it really does seem that in two straight years that your coach versus their coach is there's a gap. <laughs> there's a gap between the yeah. way that these well, two Cooper's guys are doing so things. good. Right. Cooper's so good. Like he's, he's a master tactician and you're right. And it's not just that too. the Montreal series, like those three games that they lost at the end of the Montreal series. Mm-hmm. It really felt like Keith got out coached badly there. Like yeah. it just didn't have answers yeah. when his team was struggling. Well, that's it, so. right? I keep the, I think it was Tavares. He had the line of the post game that drove me the most nuts where he went, we've just got to take this and learn from it. And I went, what do you need to learn at this point? Like, <laughs> what are the lessons that are left for you guys? You lose every year in the first round. You can't figure out like after this many trips to the playoffs, something that yeah, you need to start on time. Babcock was saying that to you when he was still in town. Like, what is the lesson that is left? John, I know it's a platitude, but my God, it just felt tone deaf in the moment where you go, just please, just not this. Don't be explaining it away this way. So, yeah, pretty clearly, um, yeah, they're going to need goaltending. They're going to need to stay out of the box. Tampa, f- four goals on the power play. It's pretty good. <laughs> I think that's a really sustainable model. And it's also the one thing going into the series that everybody wrote about, which is, holy crap, um, Tampa sucks five on five. They're like a middling team this season. But when they set up mm-hmm. in their zone, they can score. So do not take penalties against them. It's what cooked you last year in the playoffs. But now there's no bunting. A guy who used to be really good at drawing penalties for you, not so much now, clearly disliked by the officials, and someone who took a massive, well, duh, it was the story, one of the stories of the game, takes that, that major penalty. Um, do you think they're going to... This is a weird thing to say, but... In this matchup, all things considered, how much did they miss him? No, I don't think you miss him. I mean, we'll see what Nyes can give them. And like, I, I like Yarn Kroc up on that top line. I think he played Same. really well there in all the games he played. It seemed like he had some chemistry with Matthews. And, you know, as long as that third line with O'Reilly and Nyes is, can give you something and doesn't get caved in, I think they're okay. Mm-hmm. And I. It seems crazy because Bunting had, what do you have, 49 points this year to say that you're not losing anything by not he having him? 46 but he, goals in his last two seasons because I think he's got he 23 seems, in both. And I don't feel as though it's like a huge a, loss. He seems like a huge distraction at this point. Yeah. Like it just seems like like it's just a sideshow when he's out there every time. And it's like, you know, there's like the, uh, I know Tampa thought it was a dive. And then there's like just like the talking to officials and like, like, it's, you know, there's a show, Everybody Loves Raymond. It feels like everybody hates bunting right now. Like, the fan base doesn't like him. And and, and think about where it came from for him, too, right? Like, you know, he's the grows up with a single mom in Scarborough and, and you know, gets that, that bargain basement contract, didn't get a chance to play in Arizona, mm-hmm. has the 63-point season last year. Like, he was a darling, draws all the penalties. It's like, oh, now... You know, now the Leafs have their past. The Leafs have their, like, Martian light kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And then this year was just such a bad season for him. And the coaching staff tried over and over and over again. And I was actually really surprised, you know, that Keith in the postgame was not – he did not throw bunting under the bus. He was, like, very, very defensive of him, like overly defensive of, of that play. And to me that said that Keith thinks, you know, I potentially need this guy. Can I, I tell you what I read into that, though, James? Him. Can I, can yeah, what's that? I I view that actually as you don't have a good relationship with this player because you you can't hold them accountable anywhere but privately. And, and I think that one of the warning signs with Bunting has been Keith trying to put him down the lineup, trying to get him in check. 
it not really working. It bubbled over publicly on the bench that one game where Keefe's trying to get his attention and Bunting won't even look at him. And, and I went, this is sort of when you have the worst relationships with people, you feel like you cannot have anything taken out of context when speaking about them, right? Because of the way that they're going to interpret it. And so when he stood up at that podium and he talked about him, he was very careful in terms of his choice of language. Because I think that... It's a bunting thing, though. Like, it's it's not just a Keith... It's a bunting with everyone thing. Like, I think this is part of why he didn't get the chance in Arizona. It's like, there have been a lot of people that have tried to reach him. And, and like, like, Keith's known him a long time. And he's been trying over and over and over and over again. And Keith, after that incident you're talking about, Keith talked about their relationship and how they go way back and they have a good relationship. And it's like, boy, this is a this is what Bunting looks like with some, a coach he has a good relationship with. Mm-hmm. He just seems to be a guy that has a, an issue with authority. Like, look at how he talks to the officials. Like, and he's just really sewered like a lot of the goodwill that he had last year. Mm. Man, I just I feel sorry for the guy in some ways because you're right. He he's right there. In terms of he has all of the narrative behind him to be so popular here. And yes, that problem with authority and that emotional wave that has probably gotten him this far, that chip that has gotten him here, he's just not able to put the regulator on it in a in a way that works yeah. for him. But the other part, I will say this, and it does need to be mentioned with him, is I think it's harder to be loved in a market like this when you are uh, an embellisher, right? And... It just, there's a, there, it's it's so funny always with Toronto, right? Because they always get called like the, it's, it's, a, it's a blue collar city when it comes to the way people like the hockey team. And when you're the guy who embellishes on a lot of plays, people take notice. It's a smart hockey, fa- it's a, it's a smart hockey fan base. People here know their team. They've seen a lot of it. And yeah, I think he's got a lot working against him right now. And it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting because I talked to Versteeg yesterday and he goes, you have to forgive and forget and put him back in the lineup if and when he does come back. But boy, it's going to be very strange if the Leafs put themselves in a position where, you know, they make the series 2-2 and you've got the bunting well, I, factor back in. Yeah. And, go, and where do I you think put he, him? You put him quietly on the fourth line and you play him nine minutes and, yeah. you know, and if you see any funny stuff, then he's on the bench. So, I mean, yeah. that's that's where it's at with him. You know, and on the fourth line, he should be able to make an impact, even though, as you and I have talked about a lot this year, every time you move him off with the big guys, all of a sudden he disappears and you don't see him anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really he really hasn't popped and been able to carry a line. And, yeah, when people would compare him to Hyman, I would go, yeah, put Hyman anywhere in the lineup, you'll notice him. And you'll notice the nine minutes they give him. You're not going to do the same with Michael Bunting. Um, boy, yeah, the pressure is huge. It's massive. It's going to be fascinating to see how they respond to it tonight. James, I appreciate you making time today, coming on, and uh, yeah, whew, enjoy it down there tonight. All right. Thanks, JD. See you, pal. There goes James Myrtle, senior managing editor at The Athletic, and yeah, it's, I feel it too. I feel that sickening feeling right now that so many people probably have driving around or sitting in their chairs, work and listening to this and going on your walk trying to relieve some stress and maybe you're listening to this podcast and trying to get ready trying to put yourself in a headspace it's always so funny for me doing this content as uh, someone who was a big I, I used to always want content when my team won I would always want to read every article every little uh, podcast piece whenever my team was going well but when it was poor and it was pressure and it was all, I was Mr. Barry's head in the sand. And it's why when I first started working here and the Leafs lost to Boston after the four, one lead, 
and I had to come into work and cut audio the next day. Ooh. It was my absolute nightmare. Ooh. And I, maybe it's conditioned me now, and I'm I'm better at this. I can do this now. But yeah, um, boy, oh boy, oh boy, the stakes of tonight. It's just it's massive. I try to talk myself out of it because of Tampa's injuries, and hey, there is still a roadmap down 0-2, and this team is good, and. May, it's not because if they lose, it's probably because their goalie let in a softy, and then they've got to get desperate in the net, and they've just blown an, an opportunity. What they worked for all season, which was home ice advantage, they're going to have that doubt start to creep in the room that we've all been so afraid, and that I mentioned yesterday is that Tampa was able to plant it by getting game one, and yeah, all of a sudden it just it feels huge. It feels weighty. And so how these guys come out tonight, how they start this hockey game, getting that first goal, letting their goaltender settle in, getting feeling like there's production down the lineup or there's balance in the lineup, it is going to be massive. Anyways, quick break. Let's come back. Jays lost last night, but they may have gained something more important. That's next, along with best bets. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. Boy. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Azo came in here during the break. He's like, you're starting to lose faith. I was like, oh. But yes. <laughs> because, again, it's a roller coaster ride, and everybody has their mechanisms to protect themselves. And like I said, I've done so many shows of Leafs blow it in round one. I just don't want that show again. Give me a different show. I, this show sucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to watch the same show over and over and over again. Maple Leafs get it done. So I, I, I had a lovely sports evening last night, flipping back between a bunch of different games. My Bruins bet didn't go very well, which sucked, which was a bummer. But the consolation prize of losing that Bruins best bet is that the Bruins lost. And then they were a bunch of piss babies about it on their bench, which I... <laughs> Enjoyed. I enjoyed yeah. watching the Bruins be babies. And the Alex Lyon thing is really, really fun for them. But yeah, I'm bouncing around. I'm watching that. I watched a shocking, the Islanders, Carolina, they're doing the smart thing. They should start that game even earlier because they started before everything else last night. And I went, good. Now I'll watch some of this. And it was a great hockey game. Mm-hmm. And it went into overtime. And I, I was doing the four channel flip last night, which I love to do. The four screen flip. Wow. Just flipping away, going Lakers, which I watched less of because it wasn't really a good game. And then it got a little bit competitive late. So I stuck with it around the the five minute mark. Isles, Canes, Mm -hmm. Bruins, Panthers, and Toronto Blue Jays, Houston Astros. And last night sucked because Jays loaded the bases with no outs. It's two, one, and the top of the lineup is coming up that has been red hot. Sneaky, not George Springer, not been red hot and a bad series for him. But if there's one guy that you're going to not really freak out about coming in a season, it's the guy with the biggest track record. That's George Springer. So I don't think yeah. it's really in anything yet. That said, he has this unbelievably unlucky hard contact ball that goes right to Alex Bregman, who taps the bag. Whit Merrifield stays there on the bag and then, Bo Bichette gets the first strike that I can remember the Blue Jays taking of anybody that is a pitch clock violation. Mm-hmm. I actually, you can't cry about that. Everybody who's saying pitch clock save baseball, if it works against you, now you got to shut up. Like no crying about the pitch clock when it doesn't work your way. And then Vladdy comes up, has an amazing at bat, but nothing results of it. So maybe it shouldn't have been said amazing. Maybe a good at bat, a, a, a veteran <laughs> at bat, but he was still out. And then the Astros tack on a monster inning 
with six and you go, well, that sucked. That turned really quick. That went from me thinking, I can't believe they're going to steal this game. And Barrios <laughs> pitched well and I'm feeling good to you losers who lost. <laughs> Jeremy Pena. Yeah. Jeremy. What a shot. Dude, I still, I got to tell you, if there's one meaningful thing, I actually, there's two meaningful things I have from this game. One is it still bothers me that Simber is in the spot that he's in with this bullpen. I just don't, I like the guy has done so much good with the blue Jays and they got him for relatively cheap. But when he comes in and leverage, I just never have the faith. And last night just bomb. And I go, yeah, he's a guy who pitches the contact and he actually got a strikeout right after I went, where was that before? But <laughs> I'm a little, uh, the bullpen, there's some nice positive stories out of it. Jimmy looks good. Romano, obviously, one of the best closers in the game. Uh, I think Zach Pop, who led that inning to sort of its demise, mm -hmm. he has been an awesome story, and he looks like someone who I've said before could end up being the setup man with the the, the pitches he has by the end of the year. Yep. But they got a lot of a lot of I don't really love it in the bullpen. Bass is completely gone from. The guy you got at the deadline to the guy you do not trust at all. Like there's still Trevor Richards bat or sorry. Simber still comes in in leverage. I just, I, I'm not feeling great about the bullpen. I'm just being honest. People are going to cry and send me messages. That's fine. At JD Bunkus, you can be like, you're an idiot. They're really good. Look at the numbers, man. Look at what they've been doing. I just don't feel good. This my confidence ranking for the bullpen is not extremely high out of the gate. Um, I still wish that they had more sway and miss. I still wish they had one more nasty guy that they were missing last year. Um, but the other thing that was really good in that game is, Went Merrifield was solid again. Really solid. One play defensively that was sort of him and Vladdy both combining for, I don't know, it should have been better. But big, big hits in this ball game. And all of a sudden, Whit Merrifield, small sample, yes, only 57 plate appearances, but he's got an OPS plus of 111. Last year, he was really good with the Jays. He turned things around at the end of the year. And before that, it looked like a guy who was completely washed. I made fun of the, the, the trade for the Blue Jays. I was like, why are they getting a guy who's uh, OPSing under 700, who looks completely done? And even during spring this year, he looked a little slower on the bases. And you went, well, one of the things about him is that he's supposed to be fast. and He's supposed to be a good pinch runner. And where is he supposed to play? And now you've got three of all the same guys at second base. What exactly is this supposed to be? You've got one guy who's a bit better of a glove in Espinal. One guy who I think really kind of provides you nothing in Biggio. I'm sorry. I just, I, I could not have less patience for Biggio at this point. I don't get it at all. I think that Schneider loves him. Like Kerfoot <laughs> is loved by Keefe. And there's just something special there. But man. Whit Merrifield, the start that he's put together with this season, batting again over 300, a guy getting a ton of hits. Um, he's walked a few times, which has been a nice change of pace for him. And yeah, he he presents not a liability in the out, or sorry in the field. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this could be really important for the Blue Jays because they're searching for something in that spot. And they're going to need some of these depth dudes to hit because some of the depth dudes have not been phenomenal to start this season, right? Like it's been a lot of Brandon Belt sucks. And yeah, Sir Santiago Espinal hasn't really done anything for them. Yeah. Biggio, same thing. And now here comes this guy who's off to a toward start. It's, a, it's important to them. And now I think he's going to start playing more. I think you're going to start to really see him play more, which does beg the question, if he can settle into that spot, what is going to happen with the whole having three second baseman thing? Because it makes a lot less sense if he's playing this spot every day mm -hmm. and you're not switching them out to match up. So yeah. anyways, um, that is the, that's, that's the Blue Jays talk for the day.
The Blue Jays. I got it in. Yeah, I got it in. I watched the Jays. Hey, you're still relevant, Blue Jays. Poor Chris Bassett, though, eh? Is the worst start ever that everyone sees. And then he goes seven against the Astros. He's <laughs> awesome. And no, not Nobody a soul on earth saw it. Nobody's aware that Chris Bassett has done good things for the Blue Jays yet. So maybe next time, Chris, maybe next time you won't line up uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. All right, it's time for. Actually, wait, before we do, we got time, right? Yeah. Yeah, seven minutes. I have personal news today, potentially. Personal news. Yeah. JD, have you lost your blue check mark on Twitter? So I saw this yesterday. I sent it to you guys. Um, Elon Musk said today, he tweeted that last week, that today was the final day for the the legacy blue check. So the the blue checks that you're not paying for. So today is the final day? April 20th. 420. According to Elon Musk. So I lose it tomorrow. This is my last day with my blue check mark on Twitter. That's, That's how it looks, yeah. Hmm. This might be the last day. Well, I'll just say this. I, I, I'll admit, <laughs> I don't want to lose it. I, I like, I've, I've grown accustomed you. to it and I like it. I, and I don't it, blame it makes you me feel like a big man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. I actually don't really care. I will say this. You know what is actually the scariest outcome for me in a way is if it doesn't go away tomorrow, I would like to establish here that it is not me paying for it. I have no idea because this is the thing. I never set up a blue check mark. Mm-hmm. We had a day at work like years ago. Shout out to Erica Diamond, legend, who still one of the most missed employees here at Sportsnet, like a true team leader, one of the captains of, yeah, just one of the GOAT employees at this place at Sportsnet. And she just came up to me one day and was like, hey, you want to get verified? You want to do something? I guess so. And she did it. She put in the application for me. It ended up happening. I didn't even have that many followers at the time. Uh, so I've had it for a while now. I've had it the blue check for a while. The only thing that I've always coveted about it is that if you tweet to somebody, they get the notification. Mm. Yeah. Which it is, goes in like a separate notification tab yeah, from verified accounts. Which is nice. But yeah, work did it. And so I actually assumed when I had already kept it and that they went to the blue check mark that work was paying for it. I was like, thanks, work. That's fine. Now I don't think they will be. <laughs> I don't think they're paying for the blue checks. <laughs> and now it's going to become like people mock you if you have one. So I'm afraid to be teased. Yeah. I'm afraid that if I have it, people are going to say, here's a guy who paid for a blue check mark, but I didn't. And I'm actually, the worst part about this, the worst part about this, <laughs> I'm actually a little bit team Elon with paying for a better subscription service. Like I, I, I do believe that, We all have to start paying for the services that we like online, that we've gotten way too accustomed to paying for nothing online, whether it's good journalism, whether it's podcasts, whatever. Like everybody wants everything on the internet for free all the time. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are using the internet nonstop. (laughs) I'm not saying everything should cost money. There shouldn't be paywalls on everything. But yeah, I think it's fine to have to pay for movies, pay for television, and also pay for other content that you really covet and like and that for whatever reason we have a delineation with journalism which is more important where you don't want to pay anyway (laughs) i don't want to go on this incredible rant here that's all sidetracked with stuff but i i'm okay with the premise of twitter saying hey you want to have a better subscription then to give us some money yeah but I'm not doing it because I I don't want to be teased. <laughs> I'm a chicken. I just, I'm admitting if you it. You say anything I, controversial, dude. Like, I just don't want to, exactly. I don't want to have it be used against me for yeah. anything. Like, Look at this guy paying for the blue check mark. He needs validation. Like, <laughs> but I like it though. Why am I afraid to admit it? Maybe I'll just do it. Maybe I'll just pay anyway. No, I won't. I will not pay. But if I have my blue check mark tomorrow, <laughs> I do a quick, want. That was a quick zag. If I if I well, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I just because again, it just to me it it just looks like a tryhard move, even though it's probably actually beneficial to me in some way anyway yeah um blue check mark i will remember you 
will you remember me? I had a good time with you, blue check mark. It was great to feel important for a little while. All right, it's time for Best Bets, brought to you by Botano Sportsbook, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year. I lost my best bet yesterday, but we did okay. Botano did not rob me. Mm. I had a huge sweat last night. I bet the Jays under nine and a half. And the whole game was, I wasn't even thinking about it. And then there's this huge inning and I'm sitting there going, are you serious? And then I watched the ninth inning, even though the game was over because I had to sit with it. I had to sit with Chapman who is the hottest hitter on the planet in a ballpark (laughs) where he just so desperately still wants to hit home runs. He had one that was just foul. Yeah. That was almost a bomb. And then he hit one to dead center. The one place in the ballpark where it's not out. I, I've never been more upset about a win. I was sitting there just like cursing the (laughs) Toronto Blue Jays for putting me in that position where I went, I'm a genius. You know, everyone was saying take the over in this game because it was two struggling pitchers. But I went, both these pitchers are pedigree and this game's up to nine and a half and the Jays have Luke's in here or Lucas. I can, I can't get it right. I'm sorry, Lucas. I think it's Lucas. Lucas. I've heard Luke's. Yeah. See everybody's, but it's spelt Luke's. You've heard Luke's. Yeah. Where'd you hear that? I heard from it. your dad? No, I heard it on yeah. the uh, Jay's <laughs> yeah, talk show. Like, okay, so I don't know where, who, who's, yeah, it's Don't tough. trust uh, Jeff for pronunciation. Uh, don't trust who? You just zagged at Jeff there. Yeah, no, I was saying with Joe, don't trust Joe with the oh, pronunciation. because you said yeah. Jeff. I was like, poor Azzo. I was like, no, no, If no, I was going to trust no, no, anybody no, no. on the show with Blue Jay stuff, <laughs> it would be Azzo. Don't trust me. Yeah, and... Hence, you turning your mic on trying to get trust right now is very strange. It's a very strange move for you to be jumping on here and telling people what not to do. Anyway, God, it was such a sweat. And then I did have the Oilers, too, on the puck line as well, the minus one and a half. So, yeah, two or three, and I didn't give out the win. So that's a tough one. Um, Jay, or Sorry, Leafs tonight are minus 167. I'm not touching it. I told you. Maybe I need to zag and do the Leafs bets because I said I wouldn't bet it last game, and then they ended up losing. Didn't really love that. But uh, can I just do the double down and go back with the Rangers? Because it's plus 112 again. And I just think the Rangers are better. And I don't understand why they keep getting road dog. I also like the Sixers at the Nets minus 175 and minus four and a half. So there's a couple bets there. Anyways, that was Best Bets brought to you by my favorite book, Sports Bet. So uh, Botano Sportsbook. The game starts now.